Welkom bij Met Terugwerkende Kracht, een audiotour en podcast van de Universiteit Utrecht ter ere van Internationale Vrouwendag. Wij zijn podcastmakers Corinne Heijerman, Marieke van der Ven en Josien Wijkhuis. En wij nemen je mee door Utrecht. Onderweg stoppen we bij plekken met een onderbelichte geschiedenis en luisteren naar mensen met een verborgen verhaal. We leren over de geschiedenis van intersectioneel feminisme in de stad en aan de universiteit. Bij deze stop filosoof, genderwetenschapper en oprichter van het genderstudiesprogramma van de Universiteit Utrecht, Rosie Braidotti. Bij poppodium Tivoli Vredeburg op de Vredeburgkade 11 over muziek en feminisme. Because I am a fan, no sex positive, body positive feminist. This idea that feminists are castrating bitches who don't like sex. I don't know who says that. It's so completely not. I became the founding professor of women's studies in Utrecht in 87-88. Just think how far back. Uh, straight out of my PhD at the Sorbonne and straight out of the women's movement. And one of the very first lectures that I did to introduce the concept of what the hell is feminism to a university like Utrecht was a rock and roll lecture where I started from Janis Joplin. Oh God, won't you give me a Mercedes-Benz, my friend? To Laurie Anderson, because 88 or Superman comes out, or Superman, the beginning of the posthuman, all the way through then, uh, the, in between all the rock and roll revolution, saying that now feminism is modernization. It, it, is, it is women going out into the world, kicking some serious ass. Did you see Adele last night? Oh, <laughs> I love Adele. It's good to be a woman. It's good to be a female artist, while she's also in favor of gender-neutral awards. So for me, they go together. I mean, uh, but I have many other things to say about Utrecht music. But I don't want to take over. As you can see, I am <laughs> switch Rosie office. Nederland had een sterke vrouwenbeweging in de jaren 70 en 80, vertelt Rosie. De Nederlandse regering speelde hierop in door 18 plekken te creëren voor professoren in vrouwenstudies en LHBT-studies. Utrecht kreeg hier een grote rol in. Um, the reason why Utrecht got the chairs is that there were women campaigning here. Nothing happens, you know, in a void. And so the, the, the professorship came because women had wanted it. Rosie verhaalde Parijs voor Utrecht en kreeg direct een grote rol in de opleiding. Uh, I started half time and then I decided to take it. Um, and at the age of 33, I took it full time. And that gave us the opportunity to really create a program from scratch. And there were really brilliant women already here. And I was very happy happy to be able to hire Gloria Vecca in 93, very important to have a black woman. Um, and I was very, uh, very lucky to be able to apply my philosophical ideas in practice. We were probably the first in Europe to give out PhDs in women's studies. I mean, we created generations of, of, of very bright women who actually made it into the institutions. So it's a very beautiful story out of, you know, um, an, an initial irrigation of the field. Five, six programs remain that are really top-notch. Yeah. And I feel both very privileged and extremely, extremely honored to have been able to play my role in that. It has certainly shaped me and I have shaped it. Um, by also keeping that lightness of tone, a bit a bit of rhythm, you know, don't, don't make it too heavy. Um, life is difficult enough. Het verzet van vrouwen heeft altijd al haar weg gevonden via muziek. Dat begon al bij een onverwachte oude bekende, namelijk Johan Sebastian Bach. Who in this country is like God. You cannot touch Johann Sebastian Bach. But Bach was a, a complete commercial writer. He wrote music for a living. So he was commissioned by a burger of his town to write the famous coffee cantata. 
And the coffee cantata is Bach's most feminist statement, where because women were not allowed to drink coffee, colonial beverage, considered a drug. So Bach writes on a commission from a, a citizen, not from the church, the coffee cantata, where women say, coffee, coffee, ich lusche coffee, give me my cup of coffee, I want to be liberated. Bicycles is the same story, women are not allowed to ride bicycles, so you're looking at us, uh, you can make the micro-history of this, um, and you will find that access to the joys of life, whether it's music, coffee, tobacco, highly controlled for women. We, we were really deprived of pleasures and joys, it was part of the whole um, uh, episode. Vrouwen kregen pas laat in de 20e eeuw voet aan de grond in de meer plezierige kanten van het leven. En dat gaf feminisme een kickstart. Everything changes with, with the, the modernization of music. I mean, the Beatles, I mean, <laughs> all hell breaks loose. I am still of the generation, the baby boomers, very infamous but very lovely, uh, who grew up with the choice between the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, no female bands, no women's bands inside. This is why Janis Joplin is for me the first of the Club of 27. It's the breaking point. And she can't hold it, uh, but she it's in your face. Um, it really is... A, a starting point, um, but it assumes um, a popular culture revolution, the coming of television, the coming of the record industry, the coming of a generation who is not going to take uh, Bach. <laughs> I was going to say no. Um, and I think that that's where modern feminism comes with that kind of, uh, that, that rage of, of, and there indeed then, then it all starts, although we have to wait until Cindy Lauper huh, to, to have the first real major um, female uh, media star. Uh, girls only want to have fun is really the high theme of, um, the, of, of a whole generation. It's, it's a bit slow in the beginning and, and it's connected to racism, it's connected to the blues and the, I mean, it's, it's this, it's, you need an intersectional history. Once it gets structured as an industry, the presence of female talent was undeniable. And then and I think you have to look at the punk moment, that, that, because the punk bands are also, who has a contract? Like, it's all in the air, and yet through punk, with a sex pistol, we get Vivian Westwood, and we get branding. It starts then that something comes into place. And, and paradoxical as it is, punk actually becomes a major uh, cultural movement and makes quite a lot of money. And then from that moment on, there is a restructure uh, Nina Hagen, uh, who is my Pussy Riot's uh, girls, my beloved Pussy Riot's iconic role model on coming out of East Berlin, extraordinary figure. But then again, you know, commercial success. <laughs> then you get, you know, we get to today where the, it's a major figure. You can't get past Adele. She's, she's, uh, she's extraordinary. And we've come a very, very long, a long way. In and, and you see that in Adele, how far we've come. Or Yes, absolutely. With the courage to say, you know, I've had a meltdown, I can't do this, I'm not ready. Of course, when you have, you know, 60 million followers, you, you can afford that. The courage of a certain vulnerability, that um, Essex girl, working class girl, um, the courage to actually appear wounded, that's amazing, as opposed to Madonna was like a warrior. <laughs> and, and Madonna should retire now, I think. Rosie noemt haar beloved Pussy Riot. Pussy Riot is een punkband die rebelleert tegen het beleid van Poetin en de zijne in Rusland. Op 21 februari 2012 onderbraken zij een kerkdienst in de Christus Verlosser Kathedraal in Moskou als protestactie. Ze droegen kleurrijke balaclava's en maakten punkmuziek. 
Rosy en andere beroemde feministen, zoals Judith Butler, volgden de acties van Pussy Riot en de daarop volgende gevangenisstraf met veel aandacht en zorg. Ze wilden hen steunen, maar het was tegelijk ook moeilijk hen te bereiken. Zodra de leden van Pussy Riot vrijkwamen, organiseerde Rosie een evenement in Oslo, waar ze wederom een lezing gaf over feminisme en muziek en waar ook de leden van Pussy Riot aanwezig waren. Uh, I gave a, a modern version of what I had done and then I played of course Janis, Janis Joplin, uh, Nina, uh, Nina Hagen. Uh, and I think one of the punk bands, and, and then Nadia says they are my idols. Um, uh, thank you so much, that's my entire history. And so it was like welcome back to the world events. And then from there, they went immediately to New York and played for Madonna. I mean, it was the moment where they became megastars. I said with Judy afterwards, we may not see them again because they become so, so very, very famous. So they opened for Madonna, they did all the thing, and things happened. And then a few years later, I brought them uh, back here to Utrecht, and that was the Pussy Riot events at Tivoli. But Nadia by then was already in L.A. and just a little bit too glamorous, so she didn't come. But Maria came with the, and I think Masha came with her group. And it was a good event where they were talking about how they continued the struggle. And Maria made it quite clear then that she and her uh, sort of party, her team, would stay in Russia and not leave the country because they did not want to leave the country to Putin. Yeah. Whereas Nadia left and she has just been declared enemy of the state by Putin. So I think he's taken away her citizenship. Um, I think she would be delighted to be an enemy of the state, fits in perfectly, but it puts her in a difficult position. Here staan we dus bij Tivoli Vredeburg, waar Pussy Riot ooit samen met Rosie optrad en waar vele andere artiesten zijn gekomen en gegaan. Het doet ertoe dat Pussy Riot juist een punkband is, zegt Rosie. Punk absolutely as a gesture of rebellion. Punk because you don't need to be a very good musician to do it. Um, let's face it, it's not the greatest punk band. We've had better uh, voices, act, you know, with the very much using the body and very interesting relation to the master, the balaclava. Uh, and because uh, it was also what carried the revolutionary spirit, um, uh, if you're looking at the 90s and the sort of thing. Um, the, the intervention on the cathedral, which got them to, to, to jail, was criminalized as an act of blasphemy. I think it's very important to see that what plays the role here is the relationship church-state. Um, it was a blasphemy charge, and, and oh, uh, good Lord, liberate, deliver me from Putin, or my Virgin Mary, deliver me from Putin. And it wasn't so much, of course, Putin, we know, controls the church. Um, so the, the church and state thing is where the, the pussy riot really highlighted a crucial problem, incredibly clever action, saying, look what's happening here, but it cost them. So punk, for all of those uh, reasons, the, the, the sheer bravado that, of that blasphemy of that, of that energy, but the, the genealogy is the genealogy of the, of the rebellious girls, of the, the bad girls who don't, who don't comply. In elke fase van haar carrière, ook nu nog, blijft muziek een grote rol spelen in Rosie's werk. Zo houdt ze zich nu bezig met feminisme in relatie tot ouder worden. En dat doet ze... With music. At the Neve Institute, it wasn't recorded, but what I did, you see how music comes in? I did three singers, Joni Mitchell, um, Barbara 
and Marianne Faithful, and I took the hit songs. Um, for Johnny Mitchell was, as, uh, I, I looked at life and upside down. Both sides now. Uh, yeah. For Faithful, as tears go by, and for Barbara, uh, L'Aigle Noir. And I did it when they were 16, 18, 20, and when they were 60. The same, because all of them re-record them. People were in tears. The voices is so rich and dense and broken. And Marianne Faithful is extraordinary. And it just made the point crystal clear. I had a very young audience because it was about music. People were so moved and I thought, okay, so I'm going to do a lot more on the aging process. Um, music was a, a way of actually bringing into focus. I think it's unexplored and yep. under yep. Uh, study. I looked at clouds from both sides now From up and down and still somehow It's cloudy illusions I recall I really don't know clouds At all De volgende stop op de audiotour is het Academiegebouw op Domplein 29, waar Marieke van de Ven in gesprek gaat met Ernestine Convalius en Pearl Pengel over hun tante Nadia, de eerste zwarte vrouw die in Utrecht afstudeerde als arts.